The essential task is to suppress poverty, hunger, unemployment, and war, to give everyone the means to live in dignity and to lay the basis for human fraternity. To this end, we must suppress the capitalist system as well as the bureaucracy of the worker states and communist parties who do not want to seize power. The fundamental obstacle we face is the capitalist system. We must suppress the force currently in the hands of said capitalist system. Nuclear weapons. Destroy all nuclear weapons. Destroy the whole military power of the capitalist system of Yankee, French and British imperialism. Appeal to the masses and give them the means immediately to destroy capitalism overcome the bureaucracy of the worker states and establish a new society, socialism. We must appeal to the beings of other planets when they come here to intervene and collaborate with Earth's inhabitants in suppressing poverty. We must make this call to them. It is possible to make ourselves understood to them. We must not, of course, expect that they will understand immediately but we must make appeals to them if we believe that they can indeed exist. If we have any possibility of making contact with them, we must not fall into individual scientific curiosity out of some desire to see where they come from and to visit other planets. We must unite with them, they who seem more powerful than human beings, such that they will come and help us resolve Earth's problems. Then we can concern ourselves with going to see what other planets are like, how life and matter are organized, and everything regarding nature. But most important is first to resolve the problems of humanity on Earth. We do not have a fantasist or idealist position with regard to flying saucers. As we accept that they exist, we want to use all means at end, including those from outside of this planet. When we seriously reach scientific discovery, we must try to use it to the benefit of humanity. and John Doe entering the grocery store. How are they doing? So you're saying this is the market inside a building? Yes, it's one of a handful of markets, depending on what you're looking for. Uh, this is the one I go to. I'm, I'm pretty fond of it. Hey, Raul, this is where you'll pick up most of your food unless you want to like grab something on the go. It's also where you'll get like juices, cleaning supplies, uh, you get like a pet, pet food. This is basically where you can get everything. Make sure you get some of these. And John Doe takes some complicados off the shelves, puts them into his, into Berserkier's head. Oh, right. You're getting sponsored by this, aren't you? I mean, I, I'm, I'm sponsoring them. They're so good, though. You've got to try one, man. 
But also, you get pretty much anything else you're really looking for here that, like, is reasonably local. If you want something further afield, we'll have to figure it out. So, probably no Lepsa. What's a Lepsa? Actually, I don't even think they would have that because it's technically a potato flatbread tortilla type thing. Yeah, like I said, it's a potato tortilla flatbread. So it's more like on the tortilla side than a flatbread. You put stuff on it and eat it like whatever you want. Like I've seen people put hot dogs on it. Okay. Well, we do have uh, normal tortillas, which are kind of like that, but just a normal flour. They're pretty good if you uh, if you uh, as a bread substitute. I, I eat a lot of them. Okay. Uh, if you like seafood, there's plenty of seafood. Uh, there's some tomatillos. Do you need like a recipe book? Hold on. Let me go over the bigger question. Did somebody show you how to work a stove? I think Highwayman did. Yeah, I think Highwayman would have. Uh, yeah, so Highwayman uh, showed me how to turn on the stove and how to not burn everything down perfect i just i thought about that a minute into this uh yeah i mean raul do you have any recipe books as i look vacantly at the shopkeeper i have some recipe magazines give me like three of them sure any preference and uh, the man moves over to a counter where there is a, a bunch of magazines most of them imported uh, eat Weirdly enough, there does not seem to be many local publication ones. Most of them imported from South America, to the point you even see some in Portuguese. And uh, they seem a bit old. They seem to be weekly and monthly publications, but they seem to be from like two or three years ago, some of them. And uh, yeah, they, they are just stacked in a pile. Not much attention given to them. Just give me like three random ones. And looks at them thinking, oh, I'm going to pick at random. And he looks at the middle stack of the top stack and the bottom stack, closes his eyes and just pulls two from the top and the bottom, then opens them again and uh, picks the first one. That Thanks, Raul. How, how's the family? They're doing fine. They just went into vacation now. I haven't been on a vacation. Kids want to go to the scouts. Did they? I'm going to hand Zerky in the magazines. Yeah, it was a bit hard to convince grandparents to let them go. They usually spent vacations with them, helping on the farm, like that again. But uh, yeah, well convinced them that it would be good scouts. You know, something different this year. Meet more kids, same age. There are not many in the village. Bad for them to stay there stacked two months. Yeah, kids need to be with kids their own age sometimes. <laughs> All right, so we got you some recipe magazines. Uh, uh, we need to get you some other stuff. Because we need to pick you out some food. I'll show you how to make some stuff. Not much of a cook myself, but... Yeah, it seems that between the both of you, you're not the best cook. And uh, how good is Berserk here with Spanish? the cookbook in Spanish. Well, we established that Zerkir uses magic to translate the meaning of the language used. I don't think that'll apply to written language. That would be a bit more difficult for them. 
Because they're not actually a caster, they're more... It's complicated. I love when it is complicated. Yeah. So, basically, Jando grabs a bit of groceries, some kind of assorted stuffs, staples, a few bags of rice, you know, a few bags of corn flour, some wheat flour, giving you a variety of staples that you're gonna need no matter what, basically, no matter what you end up cooking. And as he's doing that, you are holding the three magazines in your hand and flipping through them, and you see that it's all Spanish. The pictures, they are really nice. So what is Berserker's reaction to this? They are expected to do something from this. Well, I, I also thought of the, another thing, that even if they could translate it, I don't think they could translate the abbreviations of like tablespoon, teaspoon, cup, ounce, because they didn't use those forms of measurement in, in, the, in the home country. Yeah, so it might actually have helped prevent some disaster that uh, cannot even read Spanish. I, I think the only thing Berserker knows how to make is hunter's stew, which is just throwing a bunch of stuff and root vegetables in a pot and boiling it for a while. <laughs> or not boiling it, but heating it for a while. Just like whatever you caught. All right, I think eventually Berserker wandering around finally makes it to the aisle they've been looking for, which is the alcohol aisle, and just grabs a handful of beer and random other spirits, and then just joins up with uh, uh, John Doe. Now, John Doe, you know that uh, it's nice to get special beer, you know, low-grade stuff in a grocery store, but there are a lot of specialized places where you get much better alcohol. As you come up with with the bottles clinking, mm-hmm. uh, you want to pick up some beer? Yes. And John stops for a minute and he looks up and he's trying to think, this stuff is novice beer. We'll go across town. There's some people who make better stuff. Oh, okay. And I think they just put it like back on a shelf. Joachim? I'm going to tell uh, this is a cultural difference and it's fine, but I'm going to tell you, you put things back where you found them in stores like this. Otherwise, this guy, I'm going to gesture right to Raul, has to put him back and that's not cool. That's no problem. Go ahead. You say that. I know better. I know some places are different. Some some shopkeeps like you to just leave the stuff so they can put it back. They say that they don't mean it. Oh, OK. I'm going to help him put it back. <laughs> Yeah, they'll all say that just to be polite, but they don't really mean it. Nobody ever wants to have to put anything back. Strange cultural holder, but let's pay for these groceries and I'll take you to the to beer place. And the thing is, you kind of are supposed to receive every second week a basic basket essentials. So why are you not doing that basic stuff? Is there any reason why you're not getting Berserkir on the system is any reason why Berserkir is not getting into the system? I actually think Berserkir is. He's receiving the box of basics as well. But John Doe is using this as an excuse to show Joachim around the city. So that way he can navigate it himself on his own without getting lost, without and knowing if he needs a specific thing that's not in his 
basket of essentials where he can find it. I guess it's also so that, you know, the first encounter is not the basket of essentials. And uh, I don't know, they just cooked the hull of it or something. Yeah. Plus, you know, I mean, urban navigation is a skill that's has to be taught because navigating cities is so different than navigating the countryside. God, I, it drives me crazy because I can in video games. Real, This is real Bren here. I can't navigate cities in games worth crap. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the same for me. Yeah. But actually, it's probably because they are not designed like real cities. Because I'm actually very good at mapping something after I crossed it once. Yeah, like, I mean, honestly, same. But also, same. like, yeah, I'm and navigating the countryside that Yokim has told John Doe. John Doe's a master of navigating cities. In the countryside, John Doe's a little more nervous. But Yokim spent all his time in a smaller community. The city's going to be a little different for that. Also, basic etiquette that, you know, Yokim knows not to get hit by a car, but does he know about, you know, other various weird etiquette things of a city? <laughs> like how to use a train exactly and in fact if you don't mind that's where I figure this is going next which is curious because you took a train before yeah yes so what was the thing that caused problems last time that you want now calmly to want to avoid repeating again uh, do they use turnstiles or so I think breaking a turnstile would be one thing. As I was say, I think that's the the natural one is Yoki just having broken a previous turnstile. It's the boar-headed guy in Demon Slayer sticking his head out of the Mugen train. Could not pronounce his name for some reason at that point. It's like John Doe and uh, John Johnny Jennings is just trying to hold them back in. <laughs> So yeah, it's definitely us approaching the subway station. All right, Yoki, we just need to go through. A, we need to catch a train across town. This is the map of the different lines and where they go. This doesn't make any sense. It does. You, you just—it's like a uh, like any other map. You just got to understand the key. The lines are different colors. You don't speak Spanish. That's going to be a little barrier for you. But uh, most people around are pretty friendly. And if you need some help on a train. They'll usually give you some sort of direction. You, you, you good at trades? Uh, you good at uh, at communicating without proper language? Is John Doe like pantomime something? Oh yeah, I do that all the time. Okay, yeah, and I mean you, you've got your magic that works when you talk to people. So just if you're really confused, ask. People are pretty helpful. But uh, we need to take the red line to the third stop. Okay. Okay, now, this is going to be the hard part. I've got my transit pass. We're going to sign you up for one, and we're not going to break the turnstile again. Uh, that's the thing. Metro is free. So what does the pass do? The pass, in all honesty, a punch card, basically, that uh, just communicates what lines you've been on. It's primarily used to verify in case you're running late for your time at the co-op or 
it's really more of a convenience holdover than anything. There are people probably arguing for the idea of getting rid of the transit pass because it's just a weird, like, you don't really need it anymore. The old way of doing things, but it's still given out. Yeah, because for the people, it seems weird, but the government keeps insisting it's needed because there's only two functional lines and part of how the train schedule is arranged, how things are adjusted, how things are maneuvered around hotspots, uh, etc. All of this is computed that requires sending algodonic signals that give the feedback so that things can be adjusted through cybernetics. Uh, but the thing is, uh, these algodonic signals are also incorporated in the long-term planning and focus in which train stations uh, should be given priority for construction, which lines should be priority opening and whatnot. So while it seems on the outside like the steal the trappings of having to pay for your fare by getting these cars somehow, and from inside, from continuing this ritual, it's actually just sending this constant series of signals that allows the system to slowly regulate in a quasi real time and accommodate changing infrastructure of the city. Right. I actually like, I imagine if you do end up losing your transit pass, it's not a big deal. It's kind of just like, I oh, will just grab a new one then. But it's something that, you know, so John is like, all right, you just got to go up to that nice gentleman, get a transit pass from him. They'll just take your name down, name and home address. Do you remember where you're staying? So it's like a question, like, because they're not dumb. They're just very naive about the world. Right. No, I think they would remember where they live. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I get the distinct impression that Yoki would absolutely like, oh, yeah, the address is right there. Like. Yeah, but I will say that the, the reason why this is being asked is because you being sleeping on uh, on John Doe's sofa because your place is being cleaned up and getting ready. So you know the address. Right. You went with outside, but you still have not spent the day there. This is why this is why this question makes sense. Okay. So it's not a question of of course you know where you are going now back. Question is. Are you familiar with the mapping of re- this place relatively to your new home? It's going to be what you're going to need to learn. You are on your own. Yeah, I, I think Johnny foresaw the need for this and wrote down my address on a piece of paper. I'm just going to take it. <laughs> All right. That's cheating, but I'll allow it. That's, that's John Doe in character. Go to the transit Office, I guess. I don't know. We haven't had trains in Western Washington in a long time, and we're just finally getting them, and they're not even in my neighborhood yet. So, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's a train? Like, what's a train? Yeah, you can get, you probably have a bigger office on uh, the main train station, and on the middle range ones that, like, where two lines correct, or like there are even buzz lines that link there that also have one. But uh, because, again, there's no sale of tickets, uh, the, the others one probably do not have a kiosk. Or, um, they probably have like a 
say lost and found. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, and again, it's probably going to be kind of overseen by a person that is on a shop nearby or inside the train station or something. Not really something dedicated. No, 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 no. Yeah, there's much need for that because if you don't have a card, you just press the button to say that you don't have the card and it sends the, the signal through that mm-hmm. way and just lets you through. So I, I was thinking more like the person that would be in charge of maintenance would probably have a place or, you know, if something were to go wrong on a track, like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly something like that. It's more a maintenance station than something service-facing. You can still solve your problem, but... Yeah, and it's like they have a little lost and found box under <laughs> under the desk kind of stuff. The thing with uh, sort of the trains that are here, they are Polish trains. They were imported from the European capital of this type of production, but they are very old. Uh, they basically being got secondhand from other uh, South American train companies. And it's only the new lines that are testing some of the cars that have been made in Chile. So it's old, but still pretty well cared for. And this stress is part of the reason why it's so important that everything is monitored. But uh, there's mine. There's... There's always some limitation. So what is the annoyance about the train system that is still a constant when commuting? I don't know trains. I've been on trains twice in my life. <laughs> you know what it is? And it's the most basic one. It's the most basic thing, but people always complain. Both of our characters are going to play about it. The, the seats are uncomfortable. The carts are a weird size. The train cars are a slightly weird size because they're all a little older, a little more hand-me-down. And it's the ultimate in a series of minor annoyances that, of course, enemies of the idea are using as a, well, we should get rid of them. But because John Doe sits down in a seat that squeaks and sags a little bit, he's like, uh, yo, keep sitting the one across, right? I don't think this one will hold both of us. I'll have to report it when we get to the other end. Okay. They're working on reinforcing these cars' seats, but uh, well, we're also significantly musclier than certain others who would send them. Mm-hmm. You make to your destination. Where is it? It's a brewery, but it's across town. I imagine the because John Doe is such a dork, and uh, his work is his life, and he doesn't get out much. It was recommended to him by another member of System 4. He's never actually been there. This is his first time himself. But uh, John Doe definitely remembers one of the other members being really excited about it. So he was like, okay, that's a place that has good beer. Remember that. Okay, uh, who was it? And I hope it was not Voidwalker. <laughs> no, no, Voidwalker. It was probably Subarana. She seems to at least recommend lots of places to John Doe. That John is like, oh yeah, I'll definitely go there. That he never does. And yeah, it's, uh, it's an ex. Especially big and uh, busy brewery. And uh, you're aware that uh, the thing is often joked that, that to, to win the revolution, Chile had to become the second France because basically Chile has cornered the, the market in middle range wines. So, you know, basically anything that is not the most over the counter. Or 
or some overpriced, very specific, very rare, very unusual taste that gets to absurd prices. Uh, probably a Chilean wine is likely to be one of them. And uh, not quite sure how that is real or mythology, but uh, the Cosmon wisdom is that uh, the, the vines from Chile, they actually came from northern Spain and southern France. And after there was the blight that basically destroyed this cultivar across the world, these are the only uh, vines that actually survived this blight. And this is why you are able to get this richness of, of, uh, of grapes that make this, this spectacular wine that uh, is still accessible and uh, they are able to produce in large quantities. Uh, you know that this is a thing and uh, this increase in these exports in alcoholic drinks kind of lifted all Aldovas and uh, even uh, other breweries also became more important and were able to export more. And uh, for a while, it was the only thing that they were able to get past the embargo. But yeah, this is much bigger place that you are used to. Usually you want, you think that on the large farming estates or the, or the mines are this big, but uh, yeah, this is pretty intensive industrial development and not that far away from Santiago proper. Uh, yeah, you see tracks coming in and out all the time. It's extremely noisy. It's probably the most busy place that Berserkir has been ever. And Berserkir was on a literal battlefield. Yeah, this fits what I thought. All right, so I think the front entrance is over there. Let's go. And Berserkir, what do you do? Being dragged through this place. I think they're very distracted at the moment and just looking around at all the industry. Joachim's going to slam their fist on the counter. I would say, your finest mead. And uh, the woman on the counter, she looks at you. Don't have mead here. Joachim looks crestfallen. So, sorry, man. Sorry, Joachim. Mead seems more of a, of a cultural thing. What do you have? Strong but sweet? Looking at Joachim to confirm this? Uh, yes. What do you got for me, dear? Now, what would be a strong and sweet beer? I know nothing, nothing about beer. Me neither. <laughs> I'm mostly a cider and mead guy and sake. I'll do sake. Won't do soju anymore. I mean, genuinely, an, an alcoholic cider would probably be the best swing. Yeah. But I don't know... How popular this cider's not even that popular. Like it's it's only popular coming out now. Yeah. It wasn't that popular back when I was growing up. Right. I mean it might be a little more popular in the year 197X, if only because it's a pretty good way to use any leftover fruits from an orchard. Yeah. But I feel like I'm missing something obvious that I should be thinking. Hold on. She turns behind and pulls out something that looks some cider. Yeah, this is Chicha de Manzana. This is 
it's not quite a cider, but uh, it's pretty pretty similar. You'll like it. It's not made by co-op here. More, uh, you know, after South, after they get the apples, it's one of places where they have inner plantations. Whatever is left, they tend to process on small, small village sites and uh, and we are we are able to get some some good batches they are a bit hit or miss you know it's not as well prepared but uh, i had some of this batch before and uh, it's pretty nice bit on too sweet most people don't like them this is why we we have a lot here and give it a try joachim gives it a try they probably enjoy it if it is one of the more sweeter ones yeah also what i prefer personally yeah it's definitely on the most sweeter side i'll take a case is that what i say yes exactly you got it on the one case i have to say these go well too well they don't have much alcohol don't let it ferment as much in fact you have to add a bit of alcohol in some places i don't like those but uh yeah get two you're gonna want two Okay. He'll take two and... Okay, let me try a sip of that. Give me it. I hand it. Jando takes it, takes a sip. You know what? I'll actually take a case of that for the party. Oh. Still having a party? Oh, yeah. Joachim's new to the area. And uh, we figured we'd have a little housewarming party for him. What's your business? We would have had this discussion, I think, before. But I do think it's an important discussion to flash back to. Is Yokeem keeping his identity as Berserkir a secret? Not really. Okay. <laughs> so, Jondo asking Yokeem that yesterday plays through his head. Uh, Yokeem here is a member of System 4 along with me. Oh. Oh. So you're no Soberana. Yes, she actually recommended this place to us. Oh, did she now? Yeah, I've actually never been out here until today, but uh, Soberana, the one day we were catching up on weekend plans and she mentioned it. Yeah, uh, can uh, you tell her that uh, she's better come uh, get out her stuff by the end of the week or it's going into the trash? Well, what do you mean? Just tell her that, okay? Okay. Well, yeah, sure. What's your name? Let me... John Doe pulls out a little notebook to write it down. And what's your name so I can tell her who said it? Marisa. And if she does not remember, it's the brunette one. Oh, oh dear. Well, Marisa, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure to tell her that. She's been very busy with, with a mission in Brazil. Right. No, she really has, I promise. I I wouldn't lie. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure you people at all is running around from one place to another. Yeah. Was that thing about the spaceship real? Absolutely. Yes. We were both there. It's true. I threw him through the spaceship. See? Yeah, I mean, I flew through it. It was really, it was wild. Absolutely insane. Hmm. That's nice. Good to know that things are going. They're always going well. She looks back and forth. Yeah, I'll be doing this with your friends with uh, Soberana, but yeah, what the hell? Pashi killed my mother during the revolution. So, and she discreetly puts a fourth crate on top, which, you know, as as discreetly as one can, this big 
rate of 24 drinks. <laughs> so it's more, it's more, you know, nonchalant that, yeah, this is meant to be there rather than hiding it. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'll, uh, I'll make sure Superana gets your message. Yeah, just move along. Okay. Well, uh, Joachim, let's, let's bail. I suppose you dropped this at home, right? Yeah. Who's home? Yours or Berserkir's? Is mine done? It's done as done as people will prepare it, but you still need to get it done your way. Oh, okay. So it's that sort of done. Yeah, we'll drop it off at mine. And as you're dropping off, uh, Jando, there is a glaring thing that Berserkir's place is lacking. Something that you don't believe a home can be ready without. And you're pretty sure that Berserkir will either not think about getting it or not be able to on their own. What is it? It wouldn't be something obvious as most appliances. As, I mean, an oven fridge, they would definitely include that. You know what it is? It's that, that Berserkir would consider essential because he's been sleeping on one for the past couple of days. But uh, it's something that he might have a little trouble getting partially just due to not knowing exactly how big to grab one, where to grab one at. The place doesn't have a good couch for people to sit at. And Jondo looks around as we're putting the as the cases of beer going to the fridge. Just all right, Yoki, we got one more stop to make. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, we gotta go hit the furniture co-op. Okay. Uh, hold on. All right, Yoki, you you gotta be good at measuring stuff, right? I kind of do that whole foot to foot, heel to toe measurement of the kind of style. <laughs> Perfect. That'll do. Alright, we'll measure the length and width of this room and then let's go. We'll catch a bus this time, which works almost identically to the train. In fact, your transit pass works for both. Okay, good. That's the thing, you're bringing the sofa home by bus? The other true secret of it is, is once again, this is just so that Joachim gets familiar with the bus. We could just haul it back realistically. We've both got super strength. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're both gonna fly. I can't fly, but I jump good. So, like, yeah, so can I. So, like, this is just that episode of Sangoku and Piccolo learning to drive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is the vibe I wanted. Yes. I loved that episode so much. Uh, I want to see people on the bus just like pointing at them and like talking amongst themselves as like, John Doe's running over, just like, all right, so this is where you're at. That food cart has really good food. I'm eating a compliados as he's saying all of this, because John Doe's always hungry. All right, so, all right, okay, we went over the bus, the train. You remember where System 4... Oh, we have... I guess I should stop by System 4 at some point and let Sumerana know. Isn't she in Brazil? I don't know if she's still there, but I should leave her a note or something. Uh, well, there's a... God, would Joachim know what a payphone is? Maybe not, but I don't know if they would have... They might just have phone boxes. Is not Highwayman losing one at some point last time? Yes, there was a phone box he used. Yeah. I imagine that almost, like, works on just a very... just. Uh, oh, yeah, there's... You know what? We're right in front of the food co-op. Let me make that phone call real quick. See if she's in. And then we'll grab some furniture. Okay. 
Rondo steps in, dials the number, one of four phone numbers he knows. It's more than I know off the top of my head. Switchblade comb out, nervously combing his hair as he's trying to call the uh, offices. Yeah, and uh, it is someone that uh, you have not heard in a while. Uh, it is Lens Flare. Hey! Lens Flare, how you doing, buddy? Oh, it's fine, fine. Ah, uh, I just got here. It was, uh, it was just a long flight from the upper Volvo. How things been in the meantime? There's nobody here. Nobody's there. Yeah, I just got here. I still have my baggage. I just pass it to to give something, and uh, yeah, nobody here. Yeah. Void Walker left a note. That was bored. She left a note, so her and Subrana must have come back. No, Subrana, uh, Subrana appeared. Subrana station. Uh, if she's coming back, she still has not come here. I think. Really? Yeah. Voidwalker left a note that she's bored. Yeah. Did she say where she'd be? She said something about going to feed bread to the ducks. Somebody wanted me to give Subaran a call. That's a little strange. All right. Does she say what park or does she just say feeding the ducks? I don't think she's actually went to feed the ducks. I don't think so either, but... I think she was just calling me old when I asked her. She She's so... Does she call you a dork, too? No. Oh, she doesn't call me that either, but she calls Highwayman that. Because she knows that if she calls me a dork, she's kicked out of game night. You guys have a game night? Oh, oh, we're not supposed to tell you. What? Oh. What are you guys playing? Oh, uh, we are continuing the, the campaign of Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes. You guys have been playing at MSPE without me? Yeah. Lens Flare. You really did not seem to be enjoying yourself when we were playing Tunnels and Trolls. I hate Tunnels and Trolls, but MSPE is different. Yeah, but do you really? Because everyone was kind of bummed out because of your bad vibes. Get complaining about Tunnels and Trolls at the same time, and then... I'm like, if John Doe comes here and starts complaining again that this is not realistic, this is not very fun, and uh, this is not how we infiltrate a place, I shall know. Uh, This is not how you plant bugs. Uh, This is totally unrealistic. Like, everyone has basically agreed that if you are such a killjoy with tunnels and trolls, you will be insufferable for mercenary spies and privatized. Look. Tunnels and Trolls is wildly different. That I've been in close quarters combat with big, scary dudes. Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes is obviously like totally unrealistic it, it, by its nature. Look, this is irrelevant. I, did Void so Voidwalker just said she was gonna go feed the duck. She didn't say where she was going. Yeah, <sighs> we're not done the discussion about Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes. Let's play, but I have to go pick up a couch. <laughs> and this is exactly why we did not invite. What are you doing tonight? Uh, I, I actually don't really don't know. I was just hoping to call an early night today. You met Yokim yet? Uh, no. Uh, is that the, the guy from the Sword and Sorcery Land? They're uh, from they're from Sword and Sorcery Land. They are having a welcoming party. They didn't schedule. Come on down and meet them. They're great. You'd love them. Ah, uh, for sure. That seems nice. 
I'm gonna go get this furniture and see if I can catch up with Voidwalker. If you see her, uh, tell her. Don't tell her that I slept about the game. You know, if uh, you'd invited me, this wouldn't have happened. And also, I was not a killjoy in Tunnels and Trolls. You all are just mad that I figured out the the best tactic for dealing with that dungeon, and I will not brook any argument otherwise. Yeah, sure. Uh, the next time you actually GM a game, you I you know what? I'm gonna put my money where we're gonna discuss this tonight. But yeah, if you see Voidwalker, tell her I'm looking for her. Sure, but I'm gonna go take a nap then if we're gonna have a party. Take a nap. You need it. You've earned it. So, all right. Uh, yeah, I, I will. I'll keep an eye out. Don't count on it. Click. Walk out. All right, Joachim. Some quick updates. If you see a teenager with a baseball bat who looks very, very bored with everything going on, tell me. We're going to have some false positives, so just, just point them out. Oh, I was like, yeah, there was one over there. There's one there. It's neither of those two. That's why you see we'll have some false positives. But also you're going to get to meet Lenslayer. He's another member of System 4. He's great. Let's go get you a couch. So are you going to an actual cops or are you going to basically furniture dump uh, where people leave things when they move or basically basically a cycling center i think we go to the furniture co-op but there's nothing that speaks to yokim i love that like all right so and and then it's like no no too fancy Looks awful. All right, Yoki, let's go check the swap. Okay. So like, and that and the Q Chado explaining just so that was like owned by one of the furniture co-ops. This is where people leave stuff that they don't want to take with them or they can't take with them, and uh, it gets recycled. We take it if you see something you like. Okay, let's see it. Is he actually taking a picture of his couch. No, no, no. I thought about it, but I'm very, very lazy. Okay, okay, good. It's like it's taking you a while there. Probably had its roots in some... So the, the couch that I think perfectly speaks to Yokim's needs and design aesthetic, it looks like it was probably some several old crates that were carefully sanded and varnished down and then nailed together carefully and lovingly. To create a very solid couch with easily removable cushions that's heavy and durable. And John Doe points like, Yokim, what about that one? That one looks good. Let's try it out. We sit on the couch. After we sit in it, John Doe looks, Yokim, this is a pretty comfy couch. This is very comfy. I might take this one and let you have the other one. I'm kidding. You can have this one. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, Hey, what? You're just taking the first couch that you shank, and uh, the guy tending to the showroom points out, "Come on, that old-fashioned thing. It's comfortable. You should be thinking about the future." And he points around, and the thing is, most of the real good stuff is basically prepared in advance. Uh, the thing is, because there is not a lot of importations going on for this kind of stuff, there is a whole 
trend to basically put their own spin on the 70s furniture and that is basically what is everywhere this is basically the most conventional air codes of the sofas in the showroom and his guy just wait this tall person just come here and uh, go to the most boring couch in which they can fit come on tell me what they want they don't know what they want look at him this person needs a durable couch they need something that can hold them and they need something that can hold people like me and other burly folk. Also something that if they flop into, isn't going to collapse. I have, I had that couch and I'm pointing at one and I've been through two of them. Two. My friend here, they don't need that problem. Right, Joachim? Right. Right. This is the couch we need. I like that one, though. It looks fantastic. Is that going on? The man looks defeated. Come on, don't you have you want you really need ah look how about I show you some catalogs to see if there is any that you like and I get for you two weeks no more. You know what? I'll I'll split the difference with you. I need a new dining room set. Give me a catalog, mark your favorite dining room sets. Perfect. And he just brings a big folder and drops it on you before disappearing. All right, Joachim, let's, let's roll. Then there's a whole scene of us just leaping through the city, carrying a huge couch. As we're leaping, there's also a very different, like, all right, so this is how you navigate by jumping places. I don't like doing it because it freaks some people out. But, like, theoretically, if you need to get here, it's like three jumps. Okay. Try not to land on anything that looks too flimsy. Nods. Yokim, after we drop this couch off, there's one more step we have to make. I hate doing it. Oh. Well, you've got a phone at your place, don't you? Is it that thing that keeps that bell noises or random? So it's probably Professor trying to reach you. Straighten some stuff out with phone etiquette. So, what is the fun thing that you do? Because... You have been carrying Berserkir across town, get get drinks to get a couch, prepare for the party. But, uh, you know, as the energy gets lower, what is the, the fun thing that you like to do? Work them up. Something that uh, you're pretty sure they could not do back in the north. Oh, that's easy. John Doe and his years of travel across the U.S., and I'm sure hauling them secretly all the way down to Chile involved several vehicles dying on his way here that he had to trade and do superhero work for mercenary, basically, but only for good mercenary, to trade for new cars to get. John Doe has an impressive record collection. Oh, nice. John Doe, very calmly, just, oh, Yokim, I got these out out of the house. Let me show you my favorite part of now. John Doe sets up his record player, grabs an album he thinks Joachim would like. It's got to be Led Zeppelin. I'm sorry. It's At some point, Immigrant Song's got to play. Came out in 1970. There we go. He, uh, I know we can't, I know there's no way we can get the rights to the Immigrant Song. 
and we get DMC aid to the probably, but still, it, I think we fade out on the immigrant song. As I drop the needle, just like I think you'll really like this. We stand outside La Moneda, the presidential palace of Chile. You arrive there after presidential summons. So, how is highwaymen going to present themselves the highest authority of the land? Johnny would be dressed, I think, in the nicest suit he has, which is still not very nice. It's not like completely worn, but it's starting to get a little bit threadbare. But he tries to keep it nice. It's just he that's that's what he's got. I think he still would have come on the bike, but it's definitely in its kind of cloaked form where it looks much more ambiguous. It's just a, it just looks like a plain like black motorcycle. And I mean, I think he for all of his strong feelings about how government should run and, you know, and taking an active role in that, I imagine the kind of pomp and ceremony of this is very, very alien to him. He's just not used to kind of rubbing shoulders with important political figures, especially in like this formal context. So he's trying to, I think, be as fully proper as he possibly can, but he is definitely, I would say, fairly uncomfortable kind of in this bizarre environment to him. Yeah, because you are faced with a very strong uh, scrutiny and uh, security apparatus. And as people guide you through the palace, you feel that you are being deeply watched. And uh, if they are expecting something terrible at any moment, and there are two soldiers at uh, the door, of the entrance to the presidential office. They look nervously at you and the door squeaks open and uh, a woman wearing a high couture suit comes out and she looks up and down to you. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I'm here to see uh, the president. Uh, my name is Johnny Jennings. Professor Jennings, the president will see you alone. She seems displeased with this and uh, exchanges glances with the soldiers and they seem just as surprised. Yeah, it's clear that she does not like the idea. And I'm Maria Marcus. I'm the president head of security. I'll be keeping an eye on you from afar. Gentlemen, there's no need for you here. That is the president's will. She and the soldier, they start going down the corridor in the opposite direction. She stops, like, to give a side glance at you. You can see that she's checking you through the mirrors on the, on the hallway to see what you do. Would I already know where I was going? I mean, you are literally in front of the office. I would knock. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I would even feel comfortable enough just to walk in, even if I was just explicitly told. Just the president is waiting for you, so I would still knock. Come in. You hear an old, raspy, tired voice. I do so. I open the door and step inside. You see... Well, when did you come back to Chile, exactly? How many years ago? Um, 
when was the when was kind of the the height of the cybernetic socialist movement? The war with the Americans was in seventy four. Uh, so the project started being fully deployed during the course of the war and taking its actual shape on seventy five. I probably came here in like seventy one. There was some time where he kind of he kind of bounced around after the Moon War was a thing. So you were here when the Popular Front was elected. Yes. You literally have followed the entire process. I wasn't actively involved in all of it, but I was absolutely just every single step of the way. I paid attention to everything. So I think that uh, it is literally impossible for you not to know is that especially with the apparatus on the way and what you see into the revolution is that uh, if there is a scene that you called attribute to a land is that uh, the comrade president loved the trappings of the office. He had great pride on the symbols of the office, on acting on the representative as the Chilean people, and basically all the trappings that are a manifest representation of um, of the trust that the people have in there. And over two terms, seeing the coverage from this room, it it always reminded you how it was a bit on the extravagant size. But ever since the poet was elected to succeed on the place of the socialists, things have changed. And uh, you see that uh, it's pretty homely. It it looks more like, uh, well, an office, like you would have on your own home if you had a space dedicated to, to that. In fact, did you leave any room dedicated to an office space on your home or you keep your work at the university? Uh, no, Johnny has a small office at his home. It's definitely it, small being the operative word. Therefore, for mostly very utilitarian reasons, if he has stuff he needs to take home, he can bring it there and, you know, work on it. But then he will take it back to the university. He definitely prefers to work at the university, but he has one there. So, yeah, this would be I think the office space would certainly be something he's looking at right now. You look around and indeed it looks more like a comfortable home office. There are a bit more tables and chairs, as you expect some meetings to happen here. There is a big, like, child-size plush lion, and uh, the there are a lot of photos next to the fireplace, and the only bit of uh, extravagancy allowed in this room is a Nobel Prize. And... As you enter the room, you see movement on the balcony and you see the round head covered by a flat cap as its owner plays with a pipe. And tell me, what is about this room, about this presence, that tells you that uh, you're not just in the presence of the president of Chile, you're not just in the presence of a Nobel laureate, you are going to be received by a veritable titan of Latin culture. Someone that has 
70 years of influence to back their words. How do you feel this gravity that such a personage would have, no matter what you think about them? This may kind of come as a surprise. Maybe not. I don't know how much people have thought about Johnny Jennings, but Johnny absolutely does read poetry. Like, other than things like fishing and just, like, outdoor stuff, it is one of the few truly peaceful things that he can have in his life and where he can kind of really have the, the chance to reflect on things that are beautiful. And I think looking at this office, it's all been very just like... It, it actually, I think, amplifies the person standing in it in a lot of ways because it is so humble, because everything is just such a... I mean, like, it's it's very clearly made to look like this is a place where people come and sit down and get work done. And, you know, the Nobel Prize is up there, and I, I feel like that's certainly something that Johnny's eye lingers on for a minute. But then he turns and sees this legendary figure who he has... I mean, who, like, he has followed this man's entire career. I mean, he has read most of his poetry. He's heard everything and has never, I don't think... Uh, certainly never seen him up close, but there's no one else in this room. It's just him and the president. And yeah, I think that's really kind of what brings that. It's it's the moment that they kind of make eye contact because he's seen this picture on the back of books in newspapers. And I think the really bizarre thing about it is that this person definitely seems titanic in his eye just because he has this you know this ongoing understanding of of this person without ever having met him personally and it takes johnny a minute to realize that he's actually just like a little bit taller than this man is and i think that that's genuinely shocking to him because it certainly doesn't seem like it he is staring at a figure who uh, is just an enormous influence in a way, in, in like a very public way, unlike, you know, because Johnny's used to people who are influences. He works around superheroes. They shape things. They change how, how the world is. But this person has just done this in the public eye, sans powers for this entire time, and has been a, just a public figure, This this I mean, for decades now and that's sort of all kind of I, I think all of this realization in in sort of a kind of unqualified way is just all kind of hitting Johnny sort of at once and El Poeta turns to you and waves his pie oh Professor Jennings it is a pleasure please let's just have a, a talk so Johnny uh, walks forward and extends a hand and says uh, Mr. President it is Truly, uh, it is it is an honor to meet you. Yes, I would I would love to sit and talk. Will you have something? I don't want to be like Johnny is the kind of person who would just say I'll have a water, but like I, you know, because I, I if the president offers something, I feel like I should take something just out of respect. And well, he he's gonna definitely pour ourselves some whiskey. He says, "Oh, uh, well, I'll have just a just a very a very small pour. I don't I don't uh, I try not to." drink too much early in the day it kind of it makes me cloudy sorry yeah it makes sense makes sense i'll try not to abuse much myself but i cannot resist because i got here to have a talk from gaush to gaush you know <laughs> i'm from Araucania, so i am a bit of cowboy myself so there's no need for this El president this and president that they are just Two tired men taking a break after lunch. 
and meeting and chatting at the bar. I think at, at I'm something of a cowboy myself. That definitely that gets a genuine smile out of Johnny. I think because having followed this man's entire career, he knows that that carries some truth to it. And uh, I think he accepts the glass with just a just a little dram of whiskey or whiskey in it, and he says, "Well, that is uh, that sounds fairly pleasant to me." As a sidebar, because uh, I expect that we are about to have a conversation. I do want to say thank you so much for having me. This is a lovely opportunity. I, I truly am very grateful. Thank you. Do you know that my government thinks that you are going to kill me? I have heard that about myself. I can reassure you right now that's nowhere within my plans. Realize that coming from the mouth of a suspected assassin, that probably is not the most reassuring thing. But I mean, you know, it's just for what it's worth. I'm not really the assassination type. Oh, please. I will not mean to make it harder to you. And uh, he extends his arms and pushing aside his old worn suit. Where will it be easier to shoot? That would be perhaps the greatest way that I can contribute to free my people. Please. I'm just a man now. <laughs> what would be best if the Americans had killed me? The spring will be eternal, and the wind will spread the flowers so far away. I'm just a dying old man otherwise. Well, uh, with respect, sir, I uh, think having the perspective of a dying old man, this, I should be clear, I'm, inter I'm, I'm intercutting my own sentence here. I should be, there is something about that that kind of hits home for kind of some, some personal reasons. Johnny had an elderly friend when he was growing up who did a lot to teach him kind of what was right in the world and who was also very, very ill the late years of his life. And so uh, that always kind of, it's just a little when he hears something like that. And he says, I think having the, uh, the will and the weight of understanding that a dying old man might have, well, I think there's something in that that might stave off the Americans at least for a little while. Let's keep that hanging, and we're gonna go back and rhyme that later. We'll talk about my dying soon enough. I want to talk about your actions and the troubles that uh, you lot caused upon the North. It has caused quite an upheaval among my government. I thought we should have a shot. Understandably. Happy to answer any questions that I can. Now, how will you describe what happened there? Can you, can you give me some perspective on, like, are there things here I would feel like I shouldn't talk to the president about? You're getting the vibe that uh, he is asking you personally, you are to brief. Two Americans doing what you did scared a lot of people in Chile. He's not that scared. I mean, he does not believe that you can harm him or Chile in any way that matters, clearly. So he actually, he wants your honest debriefing on that so that uh, he knows who and what he's dealing with. If that is the case, then I give it to him 100%. I like, you know, again, like the, they may not see exactly eye to eye as far as how things should be improving in the cybernetic socialist movement. But overall, this is still someone that he does have strong standing of respect for. You know, I don't know if he gets into the nuts and bolts of everything. And I think he tries to probably gloss over the anarchists a little bit. I think he tries to not really talk much about that angle on things. He just talks about specifically 
his John Doe's and Joachim's involvement in that whole thing it explains everything about Mac 5 and the Durax, just like what their plan was, how we dealt with it, essentially tries to make sure the narrative is very clear that we heard there was an, a Dutch-American conglomerate that was trying to come in and using a superpowered person and extraterrestrial forces to come in and invade and damage Chile. And not only that, that extraterrestrial force seemed fully comfortable with the potential destruction of, if not the country, possibly the entire planet. That we just wanted to make sure that, you know, this country was intact and that it got to keep running. I think he also wants to make very clear as he kind of recounts the entire thing that we are Americans, absolutely. That's, you know, that just is what it is. We were definitely born in America. However, we are not really particularly allegiant to that place. So we still care about this place because it is where we are and it is the place that has welcomed us in. So I think he tries to make that at least kind of obvious in how in the ways he speaks openly, I guess. My government has been aware of the problems with Oliku even before it was our government. The Communist Party was taking a special interest of how the land reform was occurring, of companies like Oliku, just the tip of iceberg, of a process that is ongoing. Now, the question is that it was necessary to fight Americans, that is self-evident. The question is... This is a battle that has been going for over 10 years now. Are you that displeased with the way that we are doing things? Frankly, Mr. President, no, I'm, I'm not. As you may know, we may not see eye to eye on certain specific things, but honestly, I'm not particularly displeased with how your government is handling anything. I hope that you can understand that we saw this as an emergent situation, as I've explained to you about this extraterrestrial force, they were prepared to take immediate action that could have resulted in massive destruction of land, the loss of many, many lives, and potentially a planet-ending threat. That was the sort of thing that we felt it important to intervene with. I, I do apologize for going that route without necessarily clearing everything fully comfortable manner as far as interfacing with the government, but we do hope that you understand that we only had or this world and this country's best interests at heart. Now, you are dancing around the issue. I have no problem with what you did. My question is exactly about those disagreements you think that we have. I am trying to stop another war here, and I'm not the only one that does that. You worry why over the last two years, on my first term, I have not finished this project. Well, I ask you why Alenda did not do it in eight. And supposedly, you agree much more with uh, the policies of our friend Salvador. After all, you are a, a cybernetic. My question to you, knowing how the Americans are, how the risk to a war is quite serious. How this intervention and the actions of the anarchists and other indigenous fighters could be used as a provocation to a war. You understand? The Americans, they would have no qualms about a second invasion of Chile, even after the defeat of 74. The embargo could escalate in dimension in response to what happened. Those are things that I have been trying to avoid, and honestly, that Salvador has been trying to avoid. 
this is where our disagreement matters because if things like that are going to happen, Chile may have a greater problems in the future. Just going to probably throw this out there. This might be a part to cut. Ludo, can you sort of help remind me, what is the core component of the disagreement between these two ideologies? El Puerta. Let's let's say a more traditional communism. It it's not as open as compromise. It's going to be more like what you know what Trotskysks will call a bureaucratic worker state. That is more the thing that uh, he has in mind. He does not trust the cybernetic itself. In practical terms, they are very similar. They want the same things for the people. It's the question that uh, Allende wants to be on the computer and El Puerta does not want to be on the computer. El Puerta likes human hands on these things. He wants failable, passionate human brains. And what he's afraid is the increase of cybernetic organization is going to do that, which is kind of an unfunded fear, but... uh, it has changed how his administration does things and why the bureaucracy has kind of exploded instead of letting just the perfect functional system that uh, Alinda did run stuff. Okay, so even to like even to an extent, it would be accurate to say that the way that this office is decorated is somewhat representative of his like his perspective. Yeah, definitely. And the main problem talking about the difference between uh, cybernetic planning and uh, conventional planning is that uh, it's not creative enough and uh, you were only able to respond as much because of how untouched the structures of your institution operate. You are still fully cybernetic, so you have a capacity to respond before the actual crisis happen, while a traditional planet economy or uh, any kind of planning response, basically you have already to be on the state of crisis to prepare a response. They will probably only react when there was already an alien force occupying part of Chile. The, the problem is that this is not really a difference between both ideologies. is the indigenous question and the anarchist question and the question of borders. And uh, that co- further complicate these issues. Right, right. His point of view coming here is that they are a bit afraid that you did what you did because the computer recklessly told you to do that. And, you know, you cannot program the computer to predict a CIA counter response or a, an American invasion. Mr. President, if I'm honest with you, you have rightly so pointed out that we do largely feel the same way. You want what's best for the people of Chile. We want a better, safer, more kind environment for them. My role predominantly, of course, is that of crisis response. And what we did was crisis response. Though your point about the fact that this could certainly be seen as provocation by the Americans, well, it doesn't doesn't seem like it takes too much to get them to do all that. So strong point and well made. You are, if I may be so bold, one of the most genuinely heartfelt and loving poets that I've ever read. Uh, I've read a lot of poetry. Yours has always been a favorite of mine. And I understand the beating heart from whence these ideas come. 
I know that you may not particularly care for our approach and our focus on the things which change, namely that we are leaning into new technology that might be, pardon the expression considering the topic, but slightly alien. I would like to impress upon you that we are certainly very concerned about the possibility of having incited conflict with America, and we are constantly, and I do mean constantly, it keeps me up at night, worried about the potential response. That said, I still think that the right thing, as far as what we are best able to offer the nation of Chile, is a rapid response to an imminent threat. Because, in truth, even if it does come to war, there will always be threats that step outside of the regular conventional boundaries of conflict between nations. There are always going to be things that while they always bear those political ramifications, they are things that a standard government response might not come quick enough to handle. That is what we attempt to offer, I suppose, so to speak. And as I mentioned before, um, it is always our priority to prevent loss of life and, and well-being for just ordinary people. And I think at least on that part, particularly. You, of all people, would certainly understand, just at the very least, that. It seems to be very pensive and a bit sour, and he turns away, takes his cap, and scrapes his bald head. As he turns away, that's probably the moment where Johnny has just maybe had the tiniest little sips of whiskey. The fact that he basically just kind of told the president, like, it's like, I think a lot of you, but I still think I'm right. That's the nerves. That's when the nerves have hit. So he like, he kind of powered through the entire thing. But then as soon as the president turns away, he kind of just like the rest of the whiskey that's in the glass, he just slugs it and then very quietly tries to like put it back. Just wherever he was holding his hand before, he tries to put it exactly there again and just try to not to make a thing of it. When we are talking about the elections of 79, the deal that I made with my friend Salvatore was that he would make sure that he is part of the Frente Popular will support me and not try to divide it by presenting another candidate. Is that no matter what, this cybernetic experiment will be allowed to continue without sabotage or inter interference. It's its own unique creature to the world and we must see that it it fails or succeeds on its own terms and well I think I don't need to describe to you the many successes that it has brought Chile and the social justice that honestly it is revived with anyone else in the world I have my own apprehensions about that and well let me tell you something. Perhaps you might finally understand where I'm coming from. You remember the counter coup that followed on 72 and 73. And we almost lost everything there. And we only succeeded because we were able to go into the countryside and the peasants that were occupying land 
we were able to support them and organize them into peasant militias. And we were able to both turn around on the fascists and expel them from the country and eventually to form the backline of the voluntary forces that defended Chile in 74. Now, these efforts, they are extremely significant. And to me, they were where we won our freedom and the people of Chile gained control over their destiny. This, why? Because the people knew that we were supporting them. Now, our friend Salvador, he was pretty shy about fighting the Supremo. He did not want to go against the court. He did not want to be seen as acting illegally to put his newly elected position and compromise the whole Frente Popular. He did not use force to expel the peasants, but at the same time he did not organize them. He not went against the law, but we did. The Communist Party, we went into the countryside and we worked everywhere and we organized the peasants. And when the time came, we lobbied and pressured Alinda to go against the law. And this almost failed because as soon as the peasants started to self-organize, the church stepped in and started to co-opting them, to organize them, to defend their interests. Liberals started doing the same. They were starting to form institutions that trying to agglomerate the potential of the peasant that cried for land reform, to cry to land back. They started co-opting that. And when the time come, they would for sure stand idle as the coup happened. Our work prevented that. Now, we stand here today at the turning page of another great era because I'm a dying man. The Chile does not belong to me. The Chile that me and you and Salvador dream about will not live to see it. It will be that child like the song, the child and the computer that still have not been born. Those, those will get to see this. And we stand at the point where that might not happen. Because I agree with the demands of the anarchists. I understand that the borders are ridiculous colonial inheritance. I understand that Oliko should have been purged from the face of the earth in 74. I understand that every single peasant should have control over the land, over the water, over the means of their life, over their land that has been there forever. I understand that. I support them. I grew up around the Mapuche. I saw what we have done to them. I saw the misery that we brought to these lands. And I understand that we have to make up for that every single step of the way. And we have not done enough. And I, for sure, for sure, it's not going to be a computer that is going to do that. But at the same time, as we need to organize them, we need to understand that such as the peasant movement almost was stolen from us and turned against us and denied us this Chile that we love. The same could happen with them. This is what I fear. This is where I come from. Do you understand me now? I do. And I think you are a man who has lived for many years now. 
and I think it is almost certainly something you're familiar with when you are in the midst of a conversation that you know right then and there you're going to be thinking about it for some time. You've given me quite a lot to think about, and for that I am grateful. I can't address the fullness of your concerns because they are the concerns that weigh on the head of a nation, something that, despite all of my bizarre experience with threats, both natural and supernatural, I am not at all familiar with. I will say this. I am a fairly simple person, despite sort of the unusual circumstances in which I find myself. And your skepticism towards the dispassionate involvement of computers making choices that people should consider, I think is not only healthy, but necessary. I think there needs to be eyes on that process. But I truly and genuinely believe that as we continue to refine our understanding of these machines and how they can benefit us, I think that the more we are able to focus on our work in this area, the higher the likelihood that we are able to build the dream that you've outlined, in which people are able to control the food in their bellies and the roofs over their heads, the the water that they drink. I I believe that, and I think that the, the quicker we are able to better understand this technology and how it can help us, the quicker we can make it a resource that regular people are able to use to make sure that they have agency over those things. Computers won't do it. You're right. Fully agree. But I think that people who are given the knowledge, that training, that those resources, they're the ones that are going to bring that that brighter future. And though I can't promise that that future will be without future turmoil, I will be carrying this conversation with me as I go forward and into some of the decisions that might cause problems for both for us and for the nation of Chile. I apologize if that doesn't fully address your question, but as I said, I think I'm going to have to sit with it for some time. Fine. It's not an easy subject. I just wanted to be sure that we understood each other. And for that, genuinely, I am very grateful. As I said when I walked in, I pleased for the opportunity to come have this conversation with you. Now, you must think me a pathetic old man, especially compared with our friend Salvador, who is so dynamic in doing anything, while for the most part I let members of my party maintain the structures that exist. I have said that I am deeply aware of my girth. I... I am very careful not to move because whatever I do is going to cause deeply ripples. I know that I am the position that has the highest chance to lead the international, to push the third world towards a new direction, or that I could lead to an attempt to unify the Latin world and maybe even liberate Brazil and to become the heart of humanity. But I told you, I'm dying. Next week, I'm going to go under surgery for the third time in the last 10 years. One of these days, I might not come back. What will happen then? We have the best medics in the world, but they cannot keep me alive eternally. And I need to make do on this. But I also, what will look like a Latin America 
united under Chile, under me. The thing that Salvador proved the most was that the cybernetic system, it does not require the charismatic leader to work. But I fear that what our friend Tito, well, my soon encounter, will happen to me. What if we unify the countries of Latin America in a great confederation and I die two years later? Will it keep together? Will it tell itself in war, brother against brother, and the Americans will push us all and enslave us in debt? Again, these are the thoughts of a feeble old man. Thoughts about dying when my only sin was being someone that always lived every single second. I disgust myself. It must be disappointing, but I hope you also understand why I am so afraid of making my move. Because once I make it, there will be no turning back. I believe, such as I can, I, I think I do understand it. And I... Um, Johnny kind of relatively slowly, under the assumption that he is probably being watched and doesn't want to present any kind of threat, I think he raises a hand, and if it doesn't seem... He's not trying to seem like he is setting himself as an equal to this person because I don't think he believes at least in terms of massive impact on the world he is an equal but I think he tries like to raise a hand and put it on the shoulder of the president in a sort of convivial way and he says Mr. President I do believe that there will always be a need for a person at the helm of this I, I truly do no matter the success rate no matter how perfect a computerized system will be the need for human oversight is always going to exist and on top of that the need for a human being to reassure the people to help them feel that they are being guided towards something better that's always going to exist at least in any future that i can see and he kind of taps his own temples he says and i have a little bit of a better window on that than most i will also simply say this though you may choose to use such words as pathetic and dying old man. I hope you understand that I have read damn near every word you've ever written and published. I am fully aware at the moment that there is not a damn thing pathetic in this room. You are absolutely, if I may, the heart and soul of this nation in the most literal of senses. And I can't speak to what it'll be like if... Latin America is finally united in a front against these extremely wealthy and powerful folks who don't agree with what we both want and what Salvador wants. I am grateful to be participating in the progress towards this future, and I am grateful for your involvement in it and for the difference of I am grateful for the difference of perspective that we have on this matter. I'm grateful for your apprehension and for your concerns, because I certainly am just one person. I can't speak for the rest of System 4, uh, and I know that there are some big personalities involved there, but for all of their blustering and all of their supposed frustrations, having a difference of perspective as we march firmly but cautiously into this future will not only be necessary, but an absolute imperative. I Yeah, I think Johnny drops his hand and he says, for what it's worth, Mr. President, I, I hope that your surgery goes well. I think this country 
would be absolutely devastated at your loss. And though I may not be able to understand that as a Chilean, having read your work, I will certainly be fairly devastated as a person who can feel the love you have for life and for the people dripping from the ink on every page. I apologize, uh, Mr. President. I'm not a poet. And he kind of grins. Well, I'm going to have to apologize, my Gaucho friend. But speaking of that, I have a doctor's appointment and I need to get to my car. I guess we'll have to continue this conversation at another opportunity. I absolutely would look forward to that. Crimson Gold Agonies is an associate of Court Games and D20 Radio. Joaquin Jarve, aka Berserkir, is played by Brent Torreson. They can be found at Copper Credit almost everywhere. Check out their other podcasts, Splinters of Jade and L5R Thriller Actual Play. They are available for editing work. Message them for rates. Johnny Jennings, aka The Highwayman, is played by Sam Sedlachter. They can be found at SGCA Delaysec on Instagram and Young Space Dead on Twitter. They are largely impressive. John Doe is played by Bradley Handler. You can follow him at Judge the Barbarian on Twitter or as co-writer on Split Roll, where he screams his opinions at you. Ludo handles the rest. You can find them at The Lettel and more of her stuff as Agonizing Crimson at Itchio or co-writing Split Roll. Citadel Comics RPG is the property of Greater Than Games and designed in collaboration with Critical Hits. Crimson Gold Agonies is possible through the support of listeners like you. You can support us on Patreon or even better, you can review us on iTunes and you can spread the word because there is no better way to get into a podcast because a friend told us about it.